You were listening to a message from The Exchange in Pearl, Mississippi. To find out more about The Exchange, go to www.theexchange.com. Today, excited, really excited, we're kicking off a brand new series called Jesus Over Everything. Uh, Jesus Over Everything is going to be coming out of Colossians 3. Uh, If you want to go ahead and get a head start there, I'll tell you to turn there again in just a little bit. Let me tell you about a conversation I had this week. I was talking with a local businessman in our area, and he began to tell me about the church that he's a part of because he knew that I was a pastor, and when you know somebody's a pastor, then you got to start talking to him about church stuff, okay? Uh, which is one of the reasons, one of the last things I try to tell people is that I am a pastor, okay? Because I want to also want them to know that I'm a real man. Okay, sorry. Uh, just venting there. It's just kind of how things go uh, in our culture. I get that. But man, here's how the conversation went. Uh, he began to tell me about his church, and he was like, man, God's doing a lot of great things. And he said, I grew up in this church, childhood memories, student memories, a lot, God doing a lot of great things. And so then he started talking about the pastor that they have um, in this recent season. He's like, man, he's a great pastor, and he can really preach, and he does a great job of explaining the word, and we love it. And I was like, that's really cool. He said, but he hadn't quite figured out how this thing works yet. And I was like, well, what is he talking about? And so literally with all seriousness, um, he looked at me and he says, church goes from 1030 to 1130. And he says, but I don't know that he's quite figured that out yet because he hadn't figured out how to cut it off at 1130. <laughs> and like, I know you, you, some of y'all, I, I know you might giggle a little bit. Um, and, and it was funny. Um, but at the same time, he meant that with all seriousness. And what happened is what without really saying it, what he was saying is, hey, God, I'm prepared to give you an hour on Sunday morning. But if it starts requiring much more than that, I don't know if I want to give you a lot more. As I walked away from that conversation, man, just thinking about what he said, um, man, I realized that his statements were really reflective of so many people's lives. And I'm not talking about how long you prefer church service to go or how long you want the preacher to talk. Okay, I'm going to talk past 1130. We're already past 1130, all right? Um, But I'm talking about that part of our lives that says, Jesus, you can have some of me, but you just can't have everything. You see, there's a lot of people, whole lot of people, right? Whole lot of good church-going people who say, Jesus, you can can have part of my life. You can have um, some of me, but I just don't know that I can give you everything. Um, Case in point, we would say, like, Jesus, I'll give you an hour on Sunday morning, right? Kind of like my friend, um, as long as it doesn't go too long or as long as something else more important doesn't take priority. um, But I just can't give you everything. Or how about this one? Uh, We say things like this, uh, Jesus, I'd love for you to have everything um, and leadership with my kids. Woo, really need that. God, you you need help with my kids. Um, But when it comes to my money, that's mine, all right? And I'm going to handle that. Or say things like this, uh, Jesus, man, would you intervene, come in, help me with my work? Oh, it's so stressful right now. Or you go to school, right? God, would you help me with my studies? I didn't study. Would you come through? God, help me, all right? But then when it comes to forgiveness for our parents or an ex-spouse or a boss that we don't jam with, God, I'm going to handle how I feel about that. You see, Man, kind of like my friend that I talked to this week, it's really easy. So many people, like Jesus, like you can have some, you can have part, you can have this segment, but Jesus, you just can't have everything. And so, man, what Scripture is calling us to, we're going to kind of spend some conversation around, is when Jesus becomes Lord, is what Scripture say, he becomes Lord over everything. 
Let me give you this foundational statement. We're going to build off of it today and really kind of over the next few weeks in this series. When Jesus is over everything, it changes everything about how you live. Okay, write that down, screenshot that, whatever you want to do. When Jesus is over everything, like when he's fully Lord, here it is, it changes everything about how you live. Not some things, not the Sunday morning hour thing, not the when other people are looking thing, but it changes everything about how you live. And so that's the conversation that we're going to have over the next few weeks is, what does that look like? Like, is that a reality? Um, I mean, we got so many other things in life. Church can't be all of life is what some of us think. But yet Jesus, it says, I want to be Lord in your life over everything. So if you have a copy of Scripture, we are going to be talking out of Colossians 3. Um, if you've been with us over the last few months, since the beginning of the year, we have accomplished Colossians 1, Colossians 2. So today we're starting into Colossians 3. We're going to look at the first four verses of what Paul wrote. Um, and when we think about Jesus over everything, today's message, really what Paul's going to say, it really speaks to our thoughts and our minds. And so if Jesus is over everything Guess where so much of our life starts is right here. And so Paul's going to speak very specifically to that. And so that's where we're going to uh, come from today. Colossians chapter 3. We're going to read the, all four verses um, on the screen. You'll see them. I'm going to read four verses, and then we'll go back and talk about them. So Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now, first verse, we just read a second ago, it starts, it says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. So, foundational truth to today and really the whole series, it starts right here. The truth is putting Jesus over everything in your life. If that's really what we're headed towards, it first means being raised, as Paul says, being raised to new life in Christ. Now, that's a spiritual thing, being raised to new life in Christ. So the first and most important question for everyone is this. Have you been raised to new life in Christ? Have you stepped into becoming a follower of Jesus? Well, what does that mean? Well, we got a lot of different thoughts in our culture. If you really start having conversations with people, they'll give you a lot of answers. Let me give it to you as simple as I know how. Um, what does it mean to be raised to new life in Jesus? Well, first, it means there is a moment, or for some people, it becomes a season where you realize that at your core, you are a sinner, right? That there are things in your life that displease and dishonor God's original design for your life, and there is sin. We identify it. All right. Now here's the deal. I don't. I haven't talked to anybody that I can think of real recently who's like, I don't sin. Okay. Like everybody knows I mess up. Okay. So we get that part. Well, there's there's two other things that I really want to specifically highlight. So once you identify your sin, then Scripture would call us to repent or to confess that sin, to confess that to God in an asking for forgiveness. Now, here's where some culture comes in, or tension comes in in our culture. Um, we love to try to achieve or earn those bad things away, right? And so a lot of us, maybe you wouldn't say it, maybe some of you would, I've had these conversations, well, if I can go to church enough, well, if I can stop cussing or drinking or whatever your moral thing is that you're like, I got to get rid of that thing, then God will love me more. We think, well, if I could do that, then that sin thing that makes me feel bad, that I feel shame over, then maybe it'll get a little better. God will accept me. I'll be like more like some of my more Christ-like friends, okay? I'm just telling you, Scripture says that's not where it happens. 
that you can't earn it away, that grace doesn't come by our works, but it comes by the favor, the forgiveness, and the mercy of God. Okay? So, so what am I saying? Well, identify, I have sin, and then I realize I can't fix me, but Jesus became a, here's the word we use, he became a savior. He's a rescuer from my sin. And my greatest core problem is sin, and the only one who fixes it is Jesus, who is what? He's the way, the truth, and the life, and no one gets to the Father except by what? By him. Okay, so identify sin, and then I ask for forgiveness as repentance, a confession of that. And then here's the last part. This may be the hardest part. And then there's a surrendering. What does that mean? Well, cultural terms, that just means giving up. Not like giving up on life, but like realizing, hey, my plans and my purposes for my life, I let them go and I surrender them to the lordship or the leadership of Jesus. Like he takes over, he leads out on my life. Or for this analogy, like he becomes the driver of my car. And I'm not, I'm not getting in the, driver, the uh, passenger seat helping him drive. No, I get in the back seat because I trust him. And, and there's, there's faith involved there, right? Because I don't know where he's going to drive the car. Is he going to maybe be a missionary in Africa? I don't know. But all I know is that you can trust him, right? Because he, he gave his son as a savior for you. And you see, watch this. When you identify the sin that's in you, um, you realize you can't fix it but that Jesus, he became a savior for us. That's why we sang a while ago, hallelujah. I don't have anything else to say, but hallelujah, okay? So identify sin, Jesus is my savior. I ask that, and then I'm surrendering my life to him. When that happens, then what did Paul say? Paul says, then you are raised to new life in Christ. That's where it starts. So here's my question, all right? Before we dive any deeper, have you, as a student, as a single parent, as a 40-year-old man or a 75-year-old man, like, have you been raised to new life in Christ? Have you made an obedient, willing decision to say, Jesus, I follow you? Not, not I came off a church camp, and it was great, and I felt convicted. Not, um, hey, the preacher preached that message one time, and, man, I didn't know what else to do. No, like I'm saying, have you willingly, obediently with your life choose, chosen to surrender to follow Jesus? And if, if not... And why, like, why not today? You see, I, I know how this typically goes. You're like, y'all wait for me to get done preaching, and then I pray, and maybe the lights drop, and you're like, okay, that's when he tells us what to do. But I'm, like, I'm inserting right here. Maybe there's somebody, or two or three, or people in part of our online gathering, like, you've never, you don't have, here's, listen, you don't have that confidence, assur- confident assurance that you are a follower of Jesus. And if that's, if you've not gotten there, I mean, here's my, I want you to have confidence that you know him, that he's, he's saved you, he's redeemed you. It's not, it's not an emotional church experience, but, man, you want to f- willfully follow him. And so here's what I'd say. I mean, if you're um, in our building today, um, this is why we refer to this card over and over and over and, like, pester you with it, is because right down here it just says, hey, today I've got, I've got questions about my relationship with Jesus. I, I don't know that I'm actually a follower of his. Or today, online, you're seeing ways that like, you can say, hey, I, d- I don't know. And part of our role as we lead you as a spiritual family is to help you have confident assurance of your relationship with Jesus. And so here's what I'm going to do. Like, before we go, keep going, I'm going I'm to pray. Because I'm just crazy enough to believe that maybe that's somebody. And the reason God brought you here today is for you to hear that. So I'm going to pray that God would help you to be obedient. God, we, we thank you today that there's the hope of salvation in you that despite our core issue of sin, Lord, you became a savior for that. Thank you. Thank you that you paid what we could not pay. 
And so, God, I pray for somebody or some bodies, um, Lord, who are maybe they're struggling with knowing, am I really walking in Christ? Um, would you move them to a place of um, just obedience today so that we can walk with them, we can encourage them, pray for them, help them, and, um, and help us to, to hear you and respond to your spirit as you draw us closer to you. And so thank you for that truth today. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and we believe. Amen. Now, here's what I know. There's a lot of you who would say, man, I have been, as Paul says, I've been raised to new life in Christ. I'm a follower of Jesus. I mean, that's awesome. And so Paul goes on in the rest of the passage, and he begins to give us some direction on what does that mean for us? What does your life look like? Here's what Paul says. He says, you should live a since then kind of life. Did you catch it? He says, since then, you have been raised with Christ. And so here's what we're going to do in our time today is we're going to talk about, just kind of highlight three different ways that Paul calls us to be, um, to allow Jesus to be over everything. So go back with me, Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, and let's uh, read it again just to remind ourselves. It says, since then you've been raised with Christ, so set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So here's the first action to put Jesus over everything. I'm going to give it to you in some statements today. Continually seek what is above. Continually seek what is above. Write that down. Um, now, the NIV translation, that's where I'm reading out of, says set your hearts on things above. The original translation um, phrases this way, it, this verse, and it says keep seeking what is above. That's what it says. Now, this idea of seeking, here's where it starts. It starts at the core of who we are. Like, it's our heart. It's the, the essence of who we are, passions, and our desires. Um, let me give you a memorable statement that maybe will help translate. Um, our strongest pursuit is always in the direction of our greatest affection. I'll say that again so you can catch it. Our strongest pursuit of our life is always in the direction of whatever is our greatest affection. I was thinking this week about um, my junior year of high, or excuse me, junior year of college, first week junior year of college, um, I went to a BSU cookout, um, which is Baptist Student Union, uh, at the reservoir. And yes, I went because I love Jesus and I wanted some hamburgers, but I also knew there were new girls on campus. Okay, I'm just being real. I'm just being real. And all, at that cookout, I encountered who is now my wife. And uh, I'll never forget, first time I met Heather, I looked and I was like, who is she and how do I get to know her? Her, okay, all right. Just, I'm just being real. Some of y'all looking at me like, oh, like, yes, okay. I, just, I was in pursuit of my wife, and I'm just being honest. In that moment, um, yes, I love Jesus, and I was following Him, and all. But like, my greatest earthly affection became that girl, all right. And I was trying to figure out how in the world can my life interact with where her life is. Like, I went to events that I would have never gone to before. I'd have been in my room playing Xbox, okay? But she was there, and so guess who also was there? I was there. Um, I figured out when she went to the cafeteria on certain days, a little, little stalkerish, okay? But like, I ended up at the cafeteria, and somehow I was just like right at the table right next to where she was gonna sit. Uh, and we would eat meals together. And then I figured out where she was walking to class, and I would walk five minutes out of the way across campus just so I would bump into her. How about a coincidence, right? What, what happened? Plain and simple, all right? Some of you fellas, like some of y'all learning some pursuit lessons right there, okay? All right, picking it up. That's free. That was all extra. What, what happened? She became the object of my greatest affection. It changed the pursuit of my life, right? I was in a dating, courting pursuit, so the direction of my life was changed because of where my greatest affection was. Here's why I'm telling you that. It's the same thing spiritually, guys. It's the same thing. Our strongest pursuit, whatever you're living your life for most, listen to me, it's always going to be in the direction of your greatest affection. 
So here's just the real simple application question off of that. In these days, in this moment, 2023, going into spring, whatever your world looks like right now, what would you say is your greatest affection? Like, chances are, you don't have to think about it a long time. Like, just something arises in you. What is the thing you're living for, or what is the thing you're thinking about most? Maybe it's your job, okay, in the career path that you're on. Um, maybe it's your hobbies, and you're like, man, can't wait to get to the weekend or time off so I can X, Y, Z. Um, maybe it's financial gain, right? Uncle inflation is beast. So you're trying to figure out, I mean, how can I make a little more? Maybe it's an extra relationship, whether that's romantic or friendship, and listen to me, all those things can be great things, but I'm just helping us realize today that the direction of our life will always be channeled to where our greatest affection is. So what does that look like for you in these days? Now, Colossians goes on, and, and Paul says, continually seek and set your heart on what? On what is above. Why would we do that? Because Paul says, verse 1, I'm just using his words, he says, Christ is seated there. What does that mean? At the right hand of God. What's he saying? Well, this picture of Jesus as seated at the right hand of God is demonstrating this. He's showing and, st and speaking about Jesus' victory overcoming the world and the things of the world. That's why it's the picture of him seated. It's not that Jesus is living in hopes of victory, but it's that he already has victory. He's already won. So therefore, he sits in complete control today. He went through the pain of the cross, the darkness of death for you and for me. So what does that mean? Well, that means that he's then the only one worthy of what? Our affections. And so we give our lives to him. But the reality that we daily wrestle with is this. Our sinful hearts daily pursue the things of the world. Like, you, you woke up today, right? If you were like me when my alarm clock went off today and somebody shorted me an hour last night, when my alarm clock went off, my affections were, I need one more hour of sleep, right? When you, when you wake up tomorrow, even on a spring break or school because you have to go to still work because you're an adult and spring break doesn't mean anything to you other than you got to figure out what to do with your kids, right? What like, your heart will naturally lean towards earthly affections. And so therefore, how do we live in that tension? We choose continually to seek what is above, okay? So we put Jesus over all things and we continually seek what is above. Verse 2, pick it up with me. Quick phrase, Paul says, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. So here's our next response. Scripture gives us, how do we put Jesus over everything? Um, consciously set your mind on the eternal, okay? Consciously, we choose to set our mind on on what is eternal. Now, verse 2, if you read it, sounds a lot like the end of verse 1, doesn't it? But Paul adds in this little extra directive, and he says, set your mind. Now, the heart was verse 1, which is what? Like our passions and desires. The mind is verse 2, which triggers what? Our thinking or our focus. And that's what Paul's speaking to. Now, here's the challenge. Here's what you walk in every day, you and me both. The challenge for us as Christ followers is that earthly is what we see, but eternal is what we're called to live for. You feel that? Earthly is what we see. It's the circumstances in front of me. It's my work. It's my family. It's my health. It's whatever is earthly, but yet there's an eternal calling. You've heard the phrase, in the world, but not of the world. So Paul's leaning in on this, that earthly things are what we see, but eternal is what we're called to live for. Around my um, freshman year of college, I went to the 
eye doctor. Um, my mom booked me an appointment, so I said, yes, ma'am, I'll be there. And so I thought that like it would go just like every other eye doctor appointment, right? Cover the right eye, read the chart, cover the left eye, read the chart, thumbs up, pay on the way out. And uh, so, man, covers my right eye, read the chart, covers my left eye, read the chart, no thumbs up. Right? And he began to tell me, he's like, Brian, I, you know, you're still young, but I think your eyes are beginning to weaken a little bit, and they're struggling to focus and see what is far away. Read everything up close, that's fine, but it's what's a little bit out there that becomes a little bit blurry. And so sure enough, I left the eye doctor that day um, with a little bigger bill because I paid for some eyeglasses. And I still wear contacts up to this day, but here's what I'm telling you. It took me going to the eye doctor to realize that my focus was just a little bit off. I'm telling you that to say that it is possible to live behind the lie that your focus is good but sometimes it takes God exposing our lives to help us begin to realize that, man, my focus is actually really more on what's earthly because that's what I can see, and it's not on what's eternal. Maybe, like, the whole reason God brought you to the gathering is this right here, okay, just because he's trying to uncover, and it's a little bit of an eternal focus appointment, if you will, for you to begin to help you see what are you focusing on most because that's why Paul has to say, consciously, consciously set your mind on what is eternal. And here's why this becomes so important in our daily life. You ready? The truth is the battles of our flesh often start in the mind. The battle of our flesh often, almost always, starts in our mind. What are you talking about? Well, I'm just saying that the battle with lust starts typically with a single thought. The battle with greed, right, starts with that thought that may lead you to go, oh, I really want that. And then it just trails from there. Or the battle with bitterness starts with that negative thought about that person who did that thing to you that you can't stand, that you think you could never forgive. And I'm just saying the battle of the flesh often starts in the war of the mind. So Paul says, consciously, Set your mind on what is eternal. Now, I'm going to give you some scriptures because over and over, scripture drives home this importance. I don't want you to think this is Bright's thoughts. This is the word that tells us, man, how do we set your mind? Set your mind on what's eternal. Here we go. I'm going to give you three verses. You may just want to write them down. Um, Romans 12, 2, you probably heard that one. Paul says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. That's easy to do. But instead, he says, actually be transformed by the renewing of your, what does it say? mind, okay? Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Are you telling me I can know what God's will is? I don't know. I'm just reading the verse. That's what he says. Isaiah 26, 3, Old Testament says, you will keep in perfect peace those whose, what? Minds are steadfast. What does that look like? Well, because they trust in you. They believe you're faithful, so their minds are steadfast in you. Then, um, man, catch this one, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Verses 4 and 5, um, listen to the war that Paul writes about. The weapons, talking spiritually, the weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of the world. 
On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension. All right, that's anything that's coming from the enemy, the lies, the thoughts, the doubts, the fear that tries to set itself up against the knowledge of God that's in our lives. And here's what we do. You ready? Here's the battle plan. We take captive every what? Every thought of our mind to make it what? To make it obedient to Christ. In other words, not to align it with the enemy's scheme, but to align it up under the truth of who God is. Here's what Paul's saying. Living a life that places Jesus over everything requires a conscious, that's such a key word, conscious setting of our minds on the things that are eternal. And I'm keying on that word because here's what I want you to see. Setting of our mind all right, is not something that we do subconsciously. You and I will not wake up tomorrow in a broken world, in a sinful flesh, and just like immediately set our mind on what's eternal. There's a, there's a conscious choosing and disciplining and walking that out. It is, here's what I'm saying. It's our choice. God allows us to have a choice in how we use our time and set our minds. Let me, let me make it real. Um, if you spend... A lot of your time, you know, binging Netflix or Hulu or whatever your jam is, but very little to no time hearing from God through his word, guess what? You're missing opportunities to set your mind on what's eternal. Um, or if you, how about this, if you're spending half of your time or your down moments um, just scrolling social media and never seeking out spiritual community to grow and be accountable and seek wisdom with others, Guess what? You're, you're missing opportunities to, to set the mind on what's eternal. Um, if you are spending more time just filling your mind with like endless news and media, and listen, some of that's helpful, it's informative, but you never set it on Jesus through worship, guess what's never going to come out of your perspective? You're never going to live in what's eternal. And hear me, I'm not banging on those things. Those can all be good things. I'm not saying don't do those things, but here's the conversations that I'm having. You ready? Here's the conversations I'm having Man, we're we are losing the priority of making God and seeking him a priority in our schedule. We're, we're losing that battle over and over, even in my own life on days. We're losing that battle. And I'm just saying, as long as we lose that, we're struggling to set our mind on what's eternal. That's why we said a few weeks ago, we said a disciplined faith is a faith that stands firm. And that's not always easy. Like there's a, there's a self-practice, self-discipline practice of walking that out, of seeking him daily. And just plain and simple, if the only time that you are setting your mind, all right, for using Paul words, the only time you're setting your mind on what's eternal um, is when you sit in this room or whatever church you're a part of and you depend on a pastor or a teacher to give you 30 minutes-ish, all right, of truth, to manage the 168 hours of your week, listen to me, you will lose. You will lose. I, I watch it happen weekly. And so that's why I, I, man, I'm pleading with you. Like, man, may we be people who, who prioritize and discipline ourselves and practice in the setting of our mind on what is eternal. Why would I do that? Just because you got mad and said it on Sunday? No, well, let me just give you some scripture, Okay. Scripture tells us the benefit of consciously setting our minds on what is eternal. There's a lot. I'm just giving you one verse. Love this verse. Philippians 4, verse 7. It says, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. 
in Christ Jesus. You know what? I have a lot of conversations with a lot of people. Sometimes it's about a lot of things that aren't great. You know what I've never met? I've never met somebody who's like, yeah, I'd rather probably not have the peace of God in my life. At the core, what we're all longing for is we're longing for peace with God that is salvation. And then we want the peace of God in our daily life. Scripture's just saying, like, no, like, it's available. Like, it, it is a real thing. He says, as long as you focus and set your mind on what's earthly, it'll bring worry and stress and anxiety and fear and doubt, a.k.a. our world. But when we choose to consciously set our mind on what's eternal, what comes out of that? Well, as I read Scripture, hope, peace, perspective, purpose, joy. I don't know of anybody who's, like, going, I don't, I don't really want those things. So here's this application question. Just write it down for yourself or think on it, whatever. What are you doing, like right now in your life as a 40-year-old husband, as a 70-year-old grandparent, as a high school teenager? Like what are you doing right now to consciously, remember not subconscious, what are you doing to consciously set your mind on what's eternal? What is that? Okay? person who places Jesus over everything in their life continually seeks what is above. They set their mind on what's eternal. we got two more verses. Stay with me. Colossians 3.3. 3. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Here's the third response. We put Jesus over everything. How does that happen? Well, confidently rest in being hidden in Christ. Confidently rest, I'm just using Paul's words, in being hidden in Christ. Paul says if you've died to your old life and you stepped into new life in Christ, right? That's where we started the day. If you've been raised to new life in Christ, then you are hidden with Christ in God. What in the world does that mean? Why does that matter for my life? Well, let me give you three promises. There's a lot. I'm going to give you three, give them to you real quick, on what does that mean to be hidden with Christ in God. You ready? First one is the promise of security. We're not putting them on the screen. Just write them down. It's the promise of security. Believers, Christ followers, those who've been raised to new life with Christ, are permanently hidden and securely locked together with Jesus. That means Satan can't break the lock, and no one and nothing can break the combination of our security in Christ. Our salvation in Christ is secure because of what he's done for us through the cross and through the tomb. In other words, the enemy can't reverse Easter. All right? It is done. Here's what Jesus says, John 10, 28. Jesus says, I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Come on. Being hidden in Christ gives us a confident security. I don't care what is uncertain in the world. I'm just saying that's what Jesus said. There's security. Here's the second promise. The promise of identity. Being hidden with Christ and God, there's a promise of identity. Believers, Christ followers, are now intimately linked together with Christ in God. Notice what Paul didn't say. He didn't say you're just hidden in God. What did he say? He said you're hidden with Christ in God. In other words, we no longer, if you're a follower of Jesus, we no longer live in our own identity, but now we are Christ bearers, Christ ambassadors, as Corinthians says, that we are his representatives and we carry with us everywhere we go because we're a follower of Jesus, the power of God the Father, Jesus the Son, the Holy Spirit, and the hope of Jesus' church. And I know maybe you put a lot of clout in your title at work, or maybe you hate your title at work, all right? But I'm just telling you, that's who you are in Christ. That you're, you're identified in him. Here's what Jesus would say, John 10, 29. He says, my father who has given them to me. We're new in him. We're in Christ. And he's greater than all. And no one can snatch them out of my father's hands because I and the father are one. 
As a new creation in Christ, we carry on us and in us and through us the identity of being a child of his, bought in him, redeemed in him. Okay, So there's security, there's identity. One last one, and stay with me on this word, it's, there's a secrecy. Okay, There's a secrecy. Third promise is a secrecy of being hidden with Christ in God. The life of a follower of Jesus is strengthened by the secret things that come from our relationship with God. Let me help it make sense. John chapter, uh, John chapter 14, verse 19, here's what Jesus says. He says, before long, um, he's on earth, he's leaving. He says, the world will not see me anymore, but you, you as my followers, you as my disciples, you will see or you will know, you will understand me because I live, you also live. Because I'm in you, you have the hope of Christ, he's in you. So here's what that means. Here's what I mean by that secrecy. As a Christ follower, God reveals things to us through his word, through prayer, and through his spirit that the world cannot understand. You get that? I, I can't stand here and fully explain to you all right, always how God speaks to me. All right, that may sound weird to you. I'm not saying like it's audible. I hadn't had that happen necessarily. But man, I'm just, I just know the word is real. His spirit is real. He invites me to live in a relationship with him, and he communicates in that, that there, there's a secrecy. I'm not trying to weird you out. I'm just saying, man, as we follow the spirit, as spirit-led people, that he speaks into our lives as we follow him. And he gives guidance, and he gives peace, and he gives joy that the world cannot grasp. We can find hope in the secret things of a relationship with God. And ultimately... Okay? Ultimately, a life that is hidden with Christ means that the temporary happenings of this world have limited impact on the eternally focused life that we live. Say that again so it registers. Being hidden with Christ and God means that the temporary happenings of this world, and they are temporary. I know it's a big deal right now to you, but I'm saying the temporary happenings of this world have very limited impact on an eternally focused life that I'm living which means that no family struggle, no financial failure, no broken relationship, no sickness, no you fill in the blank, can shake you from the hope that you have in Christ. Let me paint it this way. Um, I remember when my son was little. If you know my son, he's not little anymore. Okay, dad can't wrestle with him anymore because dad loses, all right? I'm not faking it. I really lost, all right? But when he was little, if maybe you've had kids or grandkids, you, you know this because maybe they've done that, that when we would meet new people sometimes, um, and he was a little unsure. He was a little afraid. You know what he would do? He didn't want to give him a high five or handshake. He didn't want to say anything. You know where, you know where he would go? He would run right here, right? And he would grab onto my leg, and he would stand behind me. And I hid him in that moment from what was so uncertain in front of him. But he found safety and security in what? Hidden behind his father. Here's why I tell you that, because that's the hope. It's the good news of living a life in Christ that is hidden with Christ in God. That today, hear me, today we have a sovereign, faithful, fully in control God. Who then, even in a really, really uncertain, fearful, broken, chaotic world, he sits in control today. And he invites you, if you are in Christ, he said, Paul says, Word says, you are hidden with Christ in God. You can step behind him and you can trust him 
in that. Let me read one last verse, the last verse of our passage today, Colossians 3, verse 4. Here's what Paul wrote. He says, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Here's what Paul's saying. A day is coming when this temporary life will end. It'll come to an end, and Jesus, who sits in victory right now, will return in victory over all things. And it, there'll be no shadow of a doubt that point. He'll be over all things. And if you have a relationship with Jesus, raised to new life in him, guess what you have? You have the promise that you will be with him, as Paul says, eternally in glory or in heaven. A lot of times I have the conversation where people go, well, I want to know that I'm going to heaven. Okay? I want to know that I have the promise of eternity in heaven. Great thing to desire. That's a good thing. But here's what I think we could miss. You ready? Heaven and abundant life Starts now. Hmm? Yep. Heaven and abundant life starts now. Jesus says, I've come that they may have life and that they may have it to the full. So if I'm reading it right, heaven and abundant life start by what? Start by dying with Christ, surrendering myself to him, and then setting my mind on what's eternal, surrendering myself to him, and living a life that puts Jesus over Everything. Why? Because when you set your mind on the destination, it changes how you approach the journey. And I just know there's a lot of people, maybe some of us, who are living in just what we see right here. The work thing, the family thing, the marriage thing, the kid thing, the parent, you, you, whatever your thing is, fill in the blank. And that's all we can see. And guess what it dictates? It dictates how you think and how you live. Paul's encouraging us. He's saying, man, set your mind on what's eternal, on what's last. And as you do that, guess what? It's going to change how you live to get there. We'll close with this verse from Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Look at it on the screen. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. A life that places Jesus over everything lives with a set and certain hope in an uncertain world. Why? Because Jesus is victorious now and for eternity. Thanks for joining us online. We gather not just to sing songs and hear the teaching of Scripture, but we gather so that we might be changed to live more like Jesus. Colossians 3 challenges us to do just that, to live as those who are made alive by Christ. This means we are people who are quick to forgive, who walk in purity, who act in love, and who pursue obedience in every area of our life. We want you to know that we are available and ready to pray for you and encourage you as you seek to know God and what it means to live in relationship with Him. You can begin a conversation with someone today by sending us a private message or by simply texting your first name to 601-397-6111. Our ministry team would love to pray for you and help you in any way. You can also find reading plans and other resources to help you take next steps in your faith on our website www.theexchange.cc As we close out our time today and prepare to scatter as the church, let's speak out our declaration together. We believe the great exchange took place when Jesus, who had no sin, became sin for us so that we could know God. We exist to see people exchange their old life for new life in Christ and live out their purpose. 
Christ's love compels us to exchange ideas for truth. God's word is our standard. Selfishness for serving, we will serve others. Pleasing for reaching, we will share our faith. Keeping for dispersing, we will make disciples. Forgetting for celebrating, we will praise God. We are the church. You were listening to a message from The Exchange in Pearl, Mississippi. To find out more about The Exchange, go to www.theexchange.com.